Hi, my name is Jacob Collins Brown, and this is UKBF Stories, where we are telling the story of small businesses across the UK and shining a spotlight on their journey. Today I'm with Ben Thomas, founder of All Things Business. How you doing, Ben? I'm good, Richard. You? Oh, fantastic, and thank you for joining us today. No, thank you. Welcome. So you're um, a local lad to Northampton, is that right? Yeah, well in Bruce, my hometown. Yeah. Um, I was born in Liverpool. Yeah. My father will tell you I was also conceived in Liverpool. Um, and then I, I was born in Birkenhead, lived in Bromber until I was three, and then moved down to Northamptonshire. Dad uh, had a job with Unilever. So that he was in between Liverpool and um, Shanbrook. So yeah, Northamptonshire has been my hometown for 35 years. Or oh, sorry, home county. But Wellingborough is very much my hometown. And as you were sort of, as, well, as you was growing up and sort of going through school, uh, you, if I remember correctly, went straight into work effectively. Uh, didn't go to college, university, to follow that sort of traditional path. No, so dad was uh, been in print and packaging all his life at sort of sales director, managing director level. Mum was a school teacher. She was at John Lee. Uh, for those that, that watching will remember John Lee in Wellingborough. It's no longer there now. And then at Wren School in Wellingborough for probably 22, 23 years. But I, I fell in love with, I suppose, selling really from the age of about 12 when I started at Wellingborough Market. So Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, I would do the, the market stalls with Lindsay, a guy from Moulton who used to sell curtains and nets. And then by the time I was 14, I was working for a, a guy called James Brown, WH Brown International, that are based in uh, Wellingborough. And I was doing Blackbush, Wembley, Bovingdon, um, North Weald, selling purses, wallets, bags, etc. Then this was whilst you was at school age? Yeah, yeah. So I was like year, year nine, ten, all the way through. Finished my last GCSE exam on a Wednesday. And on the Thursday, I went to work for a company called Gem Sales and Marketing, who, who is still, still going now. Jane Evans owns that business. And they're a telemarketing company. Yeah. So I started there just for the summer, really, and, but just fell in love with it. And mum and dad probably, they thought it would just be a bit of a phase, you know, for the summer holidays. I didn't want to go to, the plan was for me to go to sixth form and I didn't want to. So um, instead I, s I started to sell um, appointments over the phone for water waiters, you know, like the water machines. I used to give them away on a free trial and uh, get appointments for Gestetner's photocopiers. So you was one of those annoying people that rings you up and says, oh, can I speak to whoever looks after your um, AdWords or uh, can I speak to... AdWords wasn't around then, <laughs> it's showing my age. Um, but yeah, basically we were, but it, there was, but that's where, that's where you learnt your trade because you'd probably make 70, 80 phone calls a day. And back then you would have 25, 30 people put the phone down on you, but it didn't bother me. But I think that was just because of my, how raw I was because you know, I mean, that type of telemarketing doesn't really happen now, I don't think. Um, but, but yeah, I was one of those uh, annoying people that would ring businesses trying to give them water machines on a 14-day free trial. <laughs> but then you went from that and then you become a car salesman. Yeah, so I, lo I, I loved my time at GEM, really cut my teeth there because it was, a, it was just all on the phone um, and I, I made some good friends there. And then I... I don't know how I ended up over at Croyland. Um, it's owned by the Grosvenor Group, which is owned by the Johnson family, who are 
of, of being big admirers of and unfortunately a few of the, the family are no longer with us now they've passed on but uh, what a wonderful success story they are in their own right you know and you talk about people building it up Brian Johnson God bless him he started the business which I think was Cooper Armstrong in 1983 which is the year that I was born and he's built that up into uh, you know a multi-million pound organization that's that's won national awards I got the job at Croyland and um Again, I loved it, but it was my first face-to-face -face selling, and that's where I cut my teeth in terms of being able to sell face-to-face, -face. Um, managing expectations and overcoming objections was really hard because you'd have somebody that'd come in with their Ford Mondeo thinking it was worth four grand, and they wanted to get into that Vauxhall Vectra at ten, but that Ford Mondeo was worth fifteen hundred quid, and um, and they thought that they could maybe get that ten grand car for eight. So you got you got lots of variables there. And um, I loved my time there. I was only there nine months, but Richard Reynolds, who was my sales manager there, you know, he, he really taught me, taught me a lot. So I, I owe him a lot for sure. Yeah. So the one of the th your passions, if I'm picking up this correctly, is it is the sales process, it is the negotiation, it is the right from on a market stall through to a car sales, uh, telemarketing and car sales. These are all what I see is quite um, challenging, high-pressure sales types environments. Yeah, I, I don't think it was high. I don't know if, looking back, if it was high pressure for me because of how young I was. But you can't, even to this day, you can't beat the feeling of when you get a sale over the phone or face-to-face or, -face or if it comes in on email. You just get that buzz. But for me, I've been fascinated by business. So, you know, I, the selling is one element, but it's that business process. It's that route to market. I was at an exhibition last week at Excel for helping one of our clients that, that, had a, that didn't have enough sort of sales people to support them. And there was a stand opposite and they were giving away a free app. And I was there for two days and I couldn't understand how they made money from it. In the end, I just went over and asked him because I found that fascinating. And then I got it, the penny dropped and, uh, yeah, for me, I find business fascinating, mainly B2B. I think consumer is a completely different marketplace and really I've got limited experience in that. And it's a different buying process, selling process completely compared to B2B. Um, but I find it fascinating. And how long was that period of time um, in total from when you left school to when you finished at Croyland? So I did two years at GEM nine months at Croyland I still think I'm the best salesman 58 cars in one month and I did eight in one day on a Sunday I don't think anyone's beaten that record um, and and then after that that's when I went and set up on my own and that was really because I, at Croyland I, again love working with them Phil Johnson was like the the, the main man there if you like um, unfortunately he's, he's passed on God bless him but he was great and you know, I remember handing in my notice and he, he really didn't want me to leave, but I was, and I don't mean this to sound like how it's going to sound, but I was selling that many cars. I had to come in on my day off to hand them over. So I was literally working seven days a week. So on the day that I would have off, I'd, I'd perhaps come in at 10, but every 45 minutes I'd have, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith coming in to collect the car and I'd, I'd be going home at four o'clock on my day off. And that sort of took its toll on me, I think, because I was 18 and not wanting to go out on a Saturday night because I wanted to be the first one on the forecourt on a Sunday to make sure I got that first sale. Um, and 
yeah, that's a, so I, I moved, moved on and, and then set up BMT. Yeah, and that's, that's really sort of where I was heading there is you were still a, te- so you was a teenager when you started your first business. So my gramps, again, this is, it sounds, this is a third person I'm going to mention that's no longer with us, unfortunately. Um, he, he left us some inheritance. It wasn't a lot. Um, it was a couple of grand. And Wellingborough Innovation Centre had just opened and Mick Judge was the centre manager. And I went in there and said, oh, um, I want to set up my own business. And I, I, I could see him now sort of thinking, oh, I bet you do, mate. He's behind Wellingborough College on the Church Street. And um, Mick's great. He's, he's, a, he's a friend now, actually, to be fair. Um, he said, look, I think, I think you need to you know, do a proper business plan and go and see an accountant, etc." And I was really wet behind the ears. And um, I, got, I went to Barclays. I did a business plan. And I asked for a business bank account with, I think it was five or three thousand pound business loan to get going. But I didn't really need it. But I, I, th- I felt that I needed to ask for that to show the bank that I was being serious. But I didn't actually need it because I had I had some savings and then I had a, I had a couple of grand to for my deposit on the the, the, the building and uh, or the room, sorry, and then to buy some some office furniture, etc. The Barclays said no, so I went back to Mick and said, look, Barclays said no, but I still want to carry on he said why don't you go to see the prince's trust so I, i'd heard of the prince's trust but wrongly associated it with like the duke of edinburgh award scheme um and i got introduced to a guy called kyle elsby elsby and co G- great guy i don't see enough of him now but he was my mentor that basically got me got me through that period of from it was like two or three months and then mentored me but what the prince's trust do is they give you a, a grant so i've got a thousand pounds that had to be paid back over like two years and I think I paid £60 interest on it. But it wasn't the money, it was more of the, the doors that that opened up for me. And Carl being on the end of a phone if I needed him, helped me set the company up in terms of, you know, getting it all registered. All the stuff that I didn't want to, I wasn't any good at because I didn't know. Yeah. I wanted to just sell and do what I love doing. I didn't want to do all the stuff boring in the background. Bits. Yeah, the boring bits. And, and, um, and yeah, and, and that's how I got. That was that was my how I started in, in business, really. So, what was your business plan like? If you if you used to look at it back now, was it a business plan? Uh, it was probably better than the one I've got now. <laughs> uh, well, no, I, I think it was because I, I did the business plan back there because I well I didn't know. I was wet behind the ears. I I was doing it to fulfil the needs of others. Yeah not for myself. It wasn't a true visualization what was going to happen because I didn't know. I, I, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to, I wanted to be a telemarketing consultant because I was great on the phone and I would, I, I, I could get, make appointments because then it was more around lead generation. You weren't actually selling like, um, things over the phone. It's more about opportunities and opening the doors. And I was fantastic at that. So what kit did you need? So when you, um, when you think back to sort of that startup, they're going and having a chat with the bank, saying you needed sort of three five k um had you costed accurately your startup costs at that point yeah i I knew what my overheads were each month um and i think i did that for i think it was for six months um and i think one of the some of the feedback was that they wanted like a five-year business plan in my listen our level i think if you're a multi-million pound organization in some sectors yes you need to do five-year business plans but for a business, a startup like that, 
a five-year business plan that in my opinion just it just it's not worth the paper it's written on because there's so many variables that are going to happen between then and the end of year one let alone the end of year two and year three um so but for me it was the basics just know your numbers you know what are your overheads and what do you need to break even that they were the they were the fundamentals for me yeah and when you went to the prince's trust as you mentioned that sort of opened up doors yeah um, and Carl Ellsby, I know Carl Ellsby, yeah, I've, yeah. so I was really sort of interested to see that he was your mentor because I wasn't aware that that's what he did. Yeah, he goes under the radar a lot. He does loads of really good stuff, not just for the Prince's Trust, but... Yeah. So how, uh, when you say open doors, sort of being part of the Prince's Trust, uh, the what are we talking here? How What it's, impact that made? So, so you've got a panel of people. It's almost like a, a bit like a dragon's den sort of because you've ultimately got a panel of uh i think it was five people that decide if it's you know yes or no um but they've all got experience in life and business both of which are equally as important you don't have to be a business owner in my opinion to give somebody good life experience they're they're both they're both very valuable um but then it was oh you should come to this event and have you heard about the wellenborough chamber of commerce this is what they do have you heard and i actually heard about northamptonshire chamber of commerce as a result of the prince's trust panel um, and there were two ladies that had an office out of Moulton Park. Um, I've forgotten their names now. Um, really nice ladies that were, you know, put on this earth to make a difference and do good and really help people. Um, and fortunately, the, the office in Northampton got closed. And uh, I, I don't know if they retired or if they went. But the, I think the nearest Prince's Trust office now is in Leicester. Um, but it was just opening up the door and said, oh, you should come to this event. And that's where I discovered networking events. And at the age of 18, 19, I would go to the opening of an envelope, Richard. <laughs> In fact, I probably met you there. And, uh, you know, if there I was a... That envelope opening. Yeah. <laughs> if there were, you know, quite often I'd, you know, I'd go to a breakfast event, a lunch event and a, an afternoon event. And I think my opinion of networking events now have changed a lot in, in more recent years and I'm now more around my focus is more around quality over quantity but back then I went to everything because I just I was hungry and, and I wanted to I wanted to um, meet as many people as I could. Um, there's um, quite a prolific networker back in the day who gets sort of go, sort of done the rounds and that so I understand you sort of bumped into that chap as well. Which one? Michael. Markham. Oh yeah what a man. So <laughs> Um, so Michael Markham, I haven't seen him for years, but what a guy, he's, you know, he, he would light up a room. Any room he would go into, he would light up. And he's, um, he was, I, th- I think he was one of the founders of Stanair, which is obviously a, a very successful company in, in Kettering. And I didn't know his, his sort of background. And one of the first um, chamber events I went to, Northamptonshire Chamber of Commerce events, was at the Marriott, the Delaprat Marriott. And, uh, you know, I thought it was great. Table of 10 and they had, a, a, you know, a sort of a, captain monitor if you like to sort of host um and he stood up and the charity of the year at the time was the prince's trust and he stood up giving this very powerful emotive uh, talk around the prince's trust uh, about how it helped people and he, he also shared some of his background as grown up as well um that you know the prince's trust here is to help make a difference to people that have you know perhaps been abused um, growing up or have had difficulties with, um, you know, drugs or alcohol, etc. And I knew he was going to come to me at some point to just introduce me to everyone. And then as he sort of ended on that speech, which was very powerful, he said, and, you know, I'd like to put your hands together, ladies and gentlemen, for uh, uh, the latest sort of Prince's Trust grantee, uh, Ben Thomas. And I was like, oh, does everybody think that I've, you know, 
maybe had challenges in because because that wasn't the case at how I found Prince's Trust, but that was what they were sort of um, uh, known for, if you like, at the time. And I don't know if you've seen the Prince's Trust Awards uh, on you know uh, on ITV, and there are some they they do an amazing work and often don't get the recognition that they deserve on a more regional basis. But Prince Charles came to the fish market when it was opened uh, before it became the bus shelter, and I was asked to be one of the uh, businesses that he um, met with and he asked me the same question that you did a few minutes ago so t tell me about your, your business Ben so I did so you're one of those annoying people that rings up trying to sell double glazing and I, I think I said something no I think I said something like oh, no your honor or something like that and it was a real good icebreaker but I've got a lovely photograph of me of him talking to me that, that's on my mum and dad's mantelpiece and every year I still get a uh, Christmas card from him, uh, you know, from the Prince's Trust, but in, in his own ink, not, a, you know, not a printed one. Dear Ben, you know, best wishes, Prince Charles, which, you know, I, ch I cherish every year because they did genuinely set me on, on, the, on the, the path of, of business. Fantastic story. And at a point, so you started your own business at a really young age. Yeah. Um, so which is not uncommon, but um, says a lot about sort of the frustration of sort of taking control of basically your own life. Uh, but then you took employment and uh, went to work for the Business Times. Yeah. Before moving on to the Business Times, what happened with BMT? So my brother was, I think my second or third employee. And when I got to quarter of a million turnover, which I think was the end of our second year, my dad, my dad was sort of approaching, not retirement, but he wanted to sort of slow down a little bit, if you like. He was commuting to London or Kent at the time. He was working for a company called uh, Swan Packaging. And um, I think dad then probably, knowing my dad like I do, and re on reflection, he probably thought, actually, do you know what, Ben, ben might be onto something here. So he, he said, look, I, I couldn't do all the admin stuff. I just wanted to sell. And, and I wasn't a business owner. I was in terms of title. And yeah, I might have had the job title as managing director, but I wasn't an MD. I wasn't a business owner. I was just a very, very good salesperson. And I could win business, but we didn't have the right processes and stuff. So dad came on board and he took care of all that stuff, which he's very good at. My brother was working with us as well. And yeah, to be honest, it... it Taught the family apart. Um, me and my brother didn't get on. If he said that was tea, I'd say it was coffee, and we just—it was—it was terrible, really. And we didn't speak for a few years. I missed out on his wedding. He missed out on the birth of my um, uh, one of my ch children. Oh bloody hell! Um, but mum and dad were mum and dad were the ones that really suffered there because. You know, you got your two siblings, your two boys that you do everything for, just, um, just at, at each other's throat. So, <clears throat> 08, 09 came, and um, that was obviously the, the big crash. And I'd just won a job with my dad. We went up to Doncaster, um, and we won a company called Construction Skills. Academy or construction skills, something they want a big contract, and um, we were doing all the lead generation for them nationally. 
and they knocked us for a fifty-eight thousand pound. And um, me and me and Dad, we you know we didn't take a salary for for months. Um, it, it, dad, Mum, and Dad were probably well. They were better set up financially that you know they could take that hit. Um, I, I was like, Dad, don't worry, you know, I don't want to lose anybody. We'll get through this. I've never been through a recession before. I hadn't, so I didn't know what was coming. And um, I think the 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 final the thing that really got it for me was I had my daughter and my wife. Vicky, oh, sorry, she's my wife now. She was we weren't married at the time, and she rang me. And uh, she'd had a, a knock on the door from the council because they'd been told that we were going to be made homeless um, because the house was going to be taken away from me because I'd, I'd, do, I'd been behind on my mortgage repayments. Um, and that was because I, didn't, I hadn't taken a salary for about six months. So, um, and that was when I knew I had to take action. And I went to, I went to, I remember my dad, I didn't even tell my dad at the time, I just buried my head in the sand. And I, I told my dad, and my dad came with me to court, and I managed to I managed to s sell myself. I remember my dad saying to me, he said, listen, son, nothing's going to happen. My dad's brilliant. His words of wisdom. He's always there for me through thick and thin. And I remember him saying to me in the car park, you just got to treat this as a sales meeting. You've got to sell yourself to the judge because he or she is going to be the one that's going to be responsible for whether or not you can ha um, it can um, you can lose a house or not. It was literally in that one person's um power and um and we came out of there and the judge backed me if you like and said that i had i had, we were going to part the arrears and the arrears i mean listen if you haven't got it you haven't got it i can't remember what it was three or four grand at the time so i had to maintain payments going forward but then address the arrears as well and you know that was when i look back that was a real pivotal point because that, that was when i knew i had to make a decision for my family going forward in terms of my immediate family. And then um, two months later, the interest rates uh, went down. So my mortgage repayments went from being up here to down there, and I managed to clear my arrears and then get back on track within about nine months. So that was really, really close because on one hand, I would never thought that I was gonna lose the home, but I didn't tell Vicky. And and I didn't wanna tell her because I didn't want her to, to worry about it. I just, you know, I just got a new baby, I wanted her to, be able to um, cause contract on being mum. And probably there's a little bit of alpha male in there as well. And um, so I decided to leave BMT, which was one of the hardest things I've ever had to make. Um, and I remember telling the staff and it was, we had, there was about 10 of us at the time. And, uh, and I, I went to a bit of a dark place then because I didn't, I, I didn't know what I was gonna do. I thought, no one's going to want to employ me. There's not. I didn't even think about what my next venture was, and I. I remember I spent like two or three months, literally just at home, didn't leave the house. Um, but there was light at the end of the tunnel, in Alan Spooner, who. Do you, do you remember Spooner? The I know the name. I don't. So I, if I saw him, I might recognise. Alan Alan Spooner. Would you'd hear him, but you wouldn't see him because he's only about four foot eight. But what a man! And he started Business Times with Julie Barnes Ward. So they were husband and wife at the time when they started the business in '91. And I used to advertise in Business Times a couple of times a year um, with uh, as BMT. So me and Alan, 
Alan and I, we built up a bit of a bit of a bromance, if you like, and we socialised together on a couple of occasions. And I remember turning on the telly once to Soccer AM and Spooner was the stranger on the sofa. And he's like, he always looks like he's been 60, right? In my eyes, even when he was 50 and even now that he's 75, he just looks 60s and he had like bleach hair and, and I couldn't believe it. And I rang him up on the Monday. I went, how on earth did you get on Soccer AM? And we just got on so well. And uh, he reached out to me because he'd heard that I'd left and um, he basically said, look, I, I need to exit Business Times. I'm getting on a bit now. Julian and him, well, him weren't together, but he couldn't really exit Business Times without somebody going in and, and taking over. So I said, are you offering me a job? He went, yeah, I think I am. Um, so I went over to have a chat. He didn't tell Julie. <laughs> Julie, I think, Julie and I probably, Julie's, Julie's got a, she's, she hasn't got a bad bone in her body, but I think it's safe to say that she, cool. we didn't. Re yeah, we did. We did. Yeah, she was at the time, but I don't think we ever really um, got on. We didn't really hit it off, and it's probably down to that first meeting actually. But she couldn't not want me in the business because of how good I was, and I was exactly what Business Times needed at that time. But with just to um, cover, because you've said at the time you've left BMT before going to Business Times. Was BMT closed down? No, no, carried on. Carried on. Yeah. So under. So is it still carrying on today? Yeah, not as a telemarketing company. Yeah. So it's um, they, one of the things that we did is we we needed to diversify because of the crash. So we went into um, we diversified into like promotional merchandise on the basis that we would have products that we could then sell. So my my brother my brother basically r runs that now and has done since. And by the way, we, me and him are sound. We're we're, we're, we're fine now. I'm godfather to, to one of his sons and the family's back together. Sorry, I should have said that. Um, so we had a terrible four or five years where, you know, I'd ring mum and dad to make sure that he wasn't going around there and Christmas was horrible because, you, you, you know, all of that stuff went on. But now we're, we're very much, you know, back, back together. It's um, a commonly repeated stat that 50% of business partnerships break down in the first year. Mm. Um, that wasn't in year one, though. That was in year, like, that was in 08, 09. So, that was, so I was like 20. So we'd been, that was like year seven, year six, year seven. So you'd been working as a family, brothers, together in the business for yeah. that period of time. Looking back, Jack weren't working, really. Uh, he was. He was a good lad, but he was, uh, yeah. But he, he was living his, he was living his, he was living his life. He didn't have the responsibilities that I did. And I think with, I don't have regrets really, but I think if I had my time again, I would probably do things slightly different. Um, but he's, he's, he's doing, he's doing great. He's, he's, he's got a really good business in terms of how we, it's not telemarketing, but it's promotional merchandise and they do a lot of good stuff. You touched on it earlier, but sort of male bravado, Alphama. The, do you think, um, for the past few years, particularly during the pandemic, there's been a lot more awareness of mental health, male mental health. Yeah. And I'm as guilty as the next person. Um, when I look back over the years, I've not shared stuff when things have been getting a little bit tricky yeah. um, in the business. And I'm looking ahead and I'm thinking, where's the next paycheck going to come from? And I've not shared that with my wife because it, it's... Rightly, wrongly, many people would say wrongly. For me, it's 
that's my job. I've got to deal with that. So I'm not going to burden her with it. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to find a way of making it work. Yeah. Is that how it felt? Oh, massively. And and I think he, I think if there's the what the pandemic, there's actually uh, there are a couple of good things that have come out of the pandemic. One is I think people saying it's okay to not be okay, even though people have been beating that drum beforehand. Now it's really got got home that it is fine. You know, if you, God forbid, you slip up out of here and you can't walk, you're going to go to hospital and you're going to get x-rayed and you're going to have the right physio to get back to what you were like before you fell. But with your brain and with your, with your mental health and your mind, there isn't anything. And on one hand, you don't want to tell your wife or, your, you know, your partner, but then maybe you don't want to tell your mates down the pub or your mates in the dressing room if you're playing football or rugby. Um, but yet we all have though, we all have... We all have different levels of thought. We all talk to ourselves. But it's taken me until my 30s to realise that, even though historically I've probably had mental health. I wouldn't say... I've had challenges like I've, where I've thought... I've, it's probably taken me until my 30s to worry about the... I only care about the, what people think about me in my close circle. Whereas in my 20s, I probably, probably wanted everybody to love Ben. I want everyone to think Ben was great. Now everyone's entitled to their own opinion, and I'm not—I'm not really bothered. I mean, I, I want—if I, I had the choice, of course, you'd want people to like you. But the people that really matter to me, you can probably only count on two hands, really, which is quite sad considering the amount of people that we know. No, but everyone, it's, I think everyone's the same, and you can't please everybody. No, you can't. They're definitely not. And I think, I, but but I do think. Men, and, and I think there are women as well that, that struggle to ask for help, but men should do. And there are lots of people out there that will, that will listen uh, and that are there to help people. Um, and I do think that's... Mental health was a pandemic before the pandemic and mental health will be here long after COVID and, and the next pandemic, if God forbid, there is one in our lifetime. Mental health is a pandemic now. More people are taking their own lives than, than ever before. But we need we need action, and that that really comes down to unfortunately to, to funding to make sure that we've got enough support groups on a local local basis to help people. And um, so, you left BMT. BMT has been run by your brother yep. now, and it's a successful business. And you you your brother family's all reconciled and yep. fine. You went to Business Times. Um, after a phone call from Alan Spooner. Yeah. Um, and sales again, presumably? Yeah, yeah. So I think my title, I'm not one for job titles. I hate job titles. But um, I think it was a media partner or something. One of those annoying people who rings up trying to sell you that. Yeah but, yeah, but it was basically to go out with, with Spooner and... Uh, he was very much the face of Business Times and to try and find some, you know, net new business. And and I quickly realised that <clears throat> there was so much more that we could do with Business Times because it's got such a good name locally. And if you look back historically over business owners that some of which are, you know, are, are um, sold on or sold out now. But historically, Business Times has been, you know, I, I remember on his leaving party, we had at Asper's, his retirement party. We had the, I got the cake done with the first ever front page. And you look back at previous editions and 
it was great. You know, there wasn't, there was very few places in the county that you go into reception, you wouldn't see a Business Times on the, on the, on the, um, on the reception desk. I think my, my early observation was that it needed to evolve. And, you know, we were, we were in the basement of York Road. York Road's got great visibility. There was no signage outside. We had the phone, same phone system from 1991. So that needed to change. Didn't have a website. Did no social media whatsoever. Um, introduced colour because obviously it was black and white. Um, they, they were quite heavily features led. Features led. So we, we and they had the same features basically since 91. So we, we gave that a bit of a revamp. And just, I suppose, really just put a little bit of freshness into it, a bit of energy. And, and I loved it. And again, I loved working with Spooner and, you know, I think, I think if he and I had met a few years before that, I think, I think we would have, we would have done, we would have gone on to, you know, maybe bigger and better things really, because he was great. Um, I'd finish his sentences if we were in meetings together and, and vice versa. So what's interesting is despite you speak really highly of your time at Business Times, um, but ultimately you did leave Business Times mm -hmm. 2012 around that sort of time yeah. um, and then went back to running your own business. Yeah, so uh, Alan had left, Alan had left the business um, and it was just me and Julie and we just, we just couldn't get on with each other really, if I'm honest. And it, it was almost becoming a little bit, I'm not going to say toxic, but there were days, you know, like on, I, I say to my team now, if ever there's a Sunday night and you think, I don't want to come to work tomorrow, that's the beginning of the end because you're losing your sort of, I don't want anyone to ever feel like, oh, I've got to come to work because that's not, that's not good. It's not good for your mental health and it's not, it's not good for, for my business either. I think that's an important statement really because I say s things similar to my team is if you're finding that you're not enjoying your job anymore, then um, you need to think yourself and it's time to move on to find what you do Definition. enjoy. Defin and this is one of Spooner's mm. great sayings, definition of madness. You do the same repeated exercise, but you expect a different outcome. You know, you've got to make a change and, and some people need, you, you've got to be accountable for yourself as well. And people have circumstances that change outside of, of, of work that Im impacts that. And there, there was, there came a, a time and I can't remember, I won't go into the specifics and I just thought, no, this is it. And at the time, um, Dan Harding and Chris Burton, um, they ha they had have a business called All Things Code, and I'd instructed them to develop a, an app and a website for Business Times. So bear in mind, I'm the customer and they're the supplier, but I I, I know I, I knew them from previous, if you like, so they were trusted, and I just loved how they worked and how they questioned me and held me accountable. Because I'm not, I, I've got this idea here, and I want it to look like that, but I don't do this bit. Well, what about this, Ben? And have you thought about that? And and I was like, no, I haven't. I'd, I'd, I hadn't done a website before in terms of that journey, and I, I was really impressed with with them. And um, my, my my sort of frustrations probably at working at Business Times had, had come out, and there were certain things that I felt we should be doing that weren't that were the basics really in my eyes you know if you're a publisher your data etc etc um and I, I can't remember how it ca came about but it was just you know conversation right, right 
I want to do something differently. And originally, it wasn't about starting up as a as a as a publication, as a business publication. I wanted I wanted to I wanted to do something different and and come up because I was conscious of again worrying about what people think. Oh yeah, you, you you're just setting up in competition, and I didn't want it to be like that. So the first year was all around us being a sports marketing agency because I felt that we could offer a niche for professional athletes that were coming to the end of their career, regardless of sport, though we were particularly strong in a few sports. Um, Is this sort of like the talent management? Yeah, sort? yeah. I mean, ta- I wouldn't. We we look after Steve Thompson and we look after Kelly Smith. Steve obviously won the World Cup in 2003 with England, uh, Rugby World Cup, and Kelly's. England's greatest ever female footballer but both of them don't have a career after football after rugby and that is actually not not uncommon unless you're in the elite level where you've you've invested wisely or you've earned so much money that you don't have to worry about work where you get an opportunity on tv or something the top five percent yeah but working on tv doesn't that might pay for a few bills but it doesn't pay for all of them and it depends on yeah and yeah if you look at what a professional athlete has had to go through to get to the elite level, discipline, um, punctuality, professionalism, protein, in terms of their diet, etc., being part of a team sport, um, being able to travel away from home and leave, leave family, etc., be completely dedicated. Those, those are very, very transferable skills into business. Um, so I felt that there was an opportunity for us to do, um, make a difference there. And um, we work with a few. We work with a few people in darts. We work with a few people in football. Um, but we didn't. We didn't really sort of nail it in terms of right. This is a great scalable business now. So what we did is we we stuck with the people that were loyal to us, um, and um, started looking after businesses, social media, because well, looking after social media and creating content for these athletes that were coming to the end of their career was important because if they grow their following, brands want to engage with them. Whereas some brands will say, right, unless you've got 100,000 followers on Instagram, we don't, well, I can't talk to you. Unless you've got 50,000 followers on Twitter, we can't talk to you. So, so this is just to clarify. So the all things business, when I think of that, I think of the publication. Yeah. So is this what all things business started off before the publication? Or yeah, so, so that, that part of the business was is, is called all things management. Right. Um, all things business is the publication, which basically came at the end of probably the year, the first year. And that's where we launched a business publication initially specifically for Northamptonshire. Editorially led, different, clean, fresh design, modern feel, um, good quality print, quality stories, 60-40 split in terms of 60% of the content would be paid for, 40% would be sourced, which is unheard of in publishing. I don't know if it's the same now, but but when I was at Business Times, it was 95% was paid for, 5% was sourced, you know, the fillers and stuff. Um, and I felt that, you know, whether you like it or not in publishing, most of the best performing stories are the ones that aren't associated with advertising but that's what gets you your following that's what gives your advertisers the great value for money in terms of return on investment you know having an advert either side of a, a, a an engaging piece is giving the advertiser greater value for money than maybe being next to a piece that's paid for that isn't as engaging and that and so we did that and within a couple of years became Northamptonshire's most read business publication 
Um, and that's still print. So it's, I feel it's important to mention that you started, you effectively started a, a magazine. Yeah. And in print at a time was the, the, there's a drive towards digital. And when we think about um, sort of like your typical newspaper type um, publication, you see their print vol volumes going down. What are you seeing? Um, I believe there'll always be a, a place for print. But like most businesses and sectors, you need to constantly monitor, and we do that on a monthly basis in terms of facts and figures. But you need to make the news readily available. And the fact is, Richard, the day that we go to print might be on a Wednesday. The day that Postman Pat delivers it to six and a half thousand businesses is on a Monday. We've probably updated our website with 10 new news stories. Because when there's a merger or an acquisition, unless it's part of a more strategic marketing campaign, for example, they just put it out there and, and it's hot news for that day or maybe those few days that week. If you're on a printed monthly cycle, and this used to happen when I was at Business Times, oh, you've missed that print. Oh, well, I don't want to go in the next edition because it'll be, you know, what's happened over the next four weeks. So we need, we need to make sure that we've got a strong digital presence We've got an interactive website in terms of it being updated daily and being engaging and l let people come to us with their news because we want us to be a hub for the local business community that we can then give added value. And a lot of the stuff that we do at All Things Business would be, doesn't relate to an invoice because it's about building that brand and making sure that we are first for business news. Many businesses will come to us with that news in advance to say, listen, I'm just teeing you up that this is going to happen and we'd like you to get on board and we'll get on board and see how we can interact with them in terms of email marketing or video work etc um, and others it might just be a press release that we get but for us the digital audience is growing the social media audience is growing I can't look you in the eye and say look we send six and a half thousand copies every month delivered by the Royal Mail to businesses with a turnover of a quarter of a million pound a year plus in Northamptonshire but I can't look you in the eye and tell you how many people read it because I don't know. You, there's nothing that can quantify that, okay? But what does is you Google Analytics and your impressions, etc. And, and you, when you look at the web stats, that's where you get your, your, um, your facts and figures from. I, I, I don't think anybody in publishing uses this now, but years and years ago, people would, advertising salespeople would say, you know, if we're going out to 6,000 people, our readership's 18,000. Well, how would you make that? Well, because we get three people and every copy reads it, because Richard will read it and he'll pass it to Jacob and Jacob will pass it to Arthur. That's three people who read that one edition. How do you know that? <laughs> you, you, you can't. <laughs> you, you can't possibly know that. Um, you know, out of our six and a half thousand, do some go in the bin? Yeah, probably they do. But what we try and do, or we do do, we've got Louise and Kat here that look after all of our returns we probably get a between 50 and 100 returns now. Yet in month in the first year, we were probably getting two to 300 returns a, a month. And that was somebody just constantly going through, and unless they specified why they didn't want to receive it anymore, ringing up to see if they've moved office. Because if they've moved office, is it, are we still okay to send you a copy? And you've got to look after that database. You know, it's, that's, that data is so important to any marketing campaign, whether you're a publisher, an estate agent, recruitment company, whatever you are, 
in business. Data is so important and, and that's our most valuable asset and we have to keep on top of that every month. So, whilst I've got you here, are you running your own or have a keen interest in small business? Then UKBF is here for you. Visit ukbf.co.uk and become part of our vibrant community to meet other like-minded business owners and tap into a wealth of expertise and experience to help your business thrive. Now, back to the story. So you started All Things Business 2015. I think, yeah. Um, 15 or 14, yeah. The, now I'm aware we can't uh, talk about specifics because of um, legal reasons, mm -hmm. but um, an event happened in 2019 that, is it fair to say, nearly sort of pushed you under or nearly sort of broke itself? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that, that was... That was probably my most um, worst time as a business owner. And I mean, Dan Hardin was my, my business partner at the time, along with Chris Burton. They're not now, but that was all amicable because they've, they've, they've gone on and done amazing things with Signing App, which is a, a wonderful product that's recognized internationally now. Um, but, but I was very much all things business and they were, my, they were, more, they were great, but they weren't in the business day to day. Um, so we we parted companies, but this this you're referring to happened at, at the same uh, around the same time. And um, to be fair to Dan, he really helped me get through that from an, uh, an emotional and supportive perspective, because we were being treated, in my opinion, very 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 badly. By an organisation that's rich in heritage, got a lot of deep, deeper pockets, and I and I, actually I felt we were being bullied basically, and um, and I didn't know how to handle that. I mean, you know, listen, I'm a little bit overweight. I'm six foot five. I'm a lover, not a fighter. But if somebody in the dressing room bullied me like that, I'd, you know, I'd uh, I'd know how to handle it. When it happens in business, and it happens from some from an organization that you would never ever expect it to happen to you you loads of things go through your mind is it me have i have i pissed somebody off have i upset somebody have i have i done something that i shouldn't have done and you know is this a, an attack at ben thomas or is it do you see what i mean because you know my dad's given me loads of advice growing up and what but there's a few that i'd bring forward now into the business now and it's make a difference, make a difference in whatever you do, son, and have a have a positive impact on the people that you you do. And the event that you mention, yeah, there's there's commercial opportunities around it, but that event has had a positive impact on hundreds, if not a few thousand people in a, in in a county that I care very very much about. And it was a hard one to take, and it probably took me. Well, look, I mean, I, I thought I, I thought all sorts of things there was going to happen because of, of the route that we were going down. Um, but Dan Hardin helped me f big time from a supportive perspective as, you know, I mean, he's only five foot two, so I'm like his big brother, but he was very much like my big brother then in terms of, you know, we, you know we, we, we're going to get through this. Um, and then there was also, I've, I've got a very close circle of, of what I call good friends in business and 
I had three or four that were also rooting for me as well, and uh, and and they know who they are, and and I thank them thank them for that. I think it's when it's your business, it's difficult. Um, now I know it's not exactly the same, and and I'm trying to find an an analogy that listeners can kind of like relate it to. So if I use an example, which is now out there, uh, if people wanted to do some looking, um, where two organizations um the founder of one of those organizations befriended me and i became um and i thought was like you know in competition with each other but were um sort of like sharing information just regular phone calls that sort of stuff and then next thing i know two of the biggest players in the industry that i worked within um started suing me um and completely out of the blue never saw it coming um and being bullied in that environment for me personally it happened whilst my wife was pregnant with our second child and she started having panic attacks and things um and i nearly walked away from the business myself because i thought this is jeopardizing the, my wife's pregnancy yeah um and it's very difficult not to take those things personally because it's you've got business and people are say business is business. Yeah, but it isn't. Well, it's, it's, it's but it's your business. I, I know, and and this is where I think it's and I, and I'm I'm not not similar at all. But I struggle to, and this is probably one of my downfalls as a as a as a business owner, if you like, is I expect everybody to not everybody. I want people to work as hard as I do and care as much as I do. But then I've got this little chimp here that's going, hold on a minute, Ben, come on. They're part of a team, they're, you know, they, they work nine till five or they're, they're doing this. They're not part, they, how on earth can you expect them to do that? And, and, that, and that, I've found that hard and I still do now to this day. But when people say business is business, you know, leave, leave it at work, you, you can't. If you're working for a big corporate you know, you've got your job title and you've got your, but I've got the livelihoods of 26, 27 people here. And, and, and as we grow, I want it to be more because I want people to progress and I want them to develop and evolve. And I want to leave a legacy for my children as well. So when people trying to, I do take it personally and, it, and it's difficult and I might be wrong. I might be wrong to think that, but if, if, if I make a mistake, I put my hands up and I apologize. But when someone's attacking you or an organization's attacking you, I can't help but take it personally. Um, so that was a real, that was a tough period. And that went on for, it probably went on, on and off for about 12 months. So it was a real, real tough period. And then the kicks didn't stop coming because then we moved into the pandemic. Um, there's two stories from the pandemic, really, that I'd like to hear your take on. Um, one was the impact to you as a business and what happened to your, to your company during that time. Um, but then what you did with things like the ATB arms. <laughs> so, well, so we'll go with the, the more negative one first. So we was, we moved in when, when I, when I separated from, uh, Dan and Chris, we had a, we was in the barn at No Bottle, and we moved into the Innovation Centre over at uh, Northampton, opposite the train station. And we were in an office, and there was only, I don't know if there was six or eight of us. 
I remember Dan Cole, he doesn't work with us now, he works in Milton Keynes, a great guy, but he, he always used to come in on a Monday and he never had a desk to sit at. It was, you know, you, you look back on these sort of fond little quirky memories and um, we'd, things were going well for us. And I said to our landlord, um, can we move to a bigger office? And he went, well, we've got this one here, but it's, it was massive. Um, and they did us a little bit of a deal. So this one was 600 quid a month and that one was three grand a month. I left it a month or two and did a couple of projects and needed to win a bit more work. And I said, okay, we'll do it. So we signed the, the paperwork on the Friday. Don't quote me on this, but I think it was the 19th of March. I might be wrong. Got the keys, moved bits and pieces in over the weekend. On Monday the 22nd, lockdown happened. And um, I, I remember Fra Fraser was with me and I remember watching Rishi Sunak and, uh, no, no, it was Boris, I think. It was Boris on this occasion. Rishi Sunak came later when he announced furlough, et cetera. And, um, and I was like, what am I gonna do? Like, I've just bought Chris and Dan out in six months before in terms of partnership, business ownership. Here I am gone from 600 quid a month to three grand a month just and, and now I'm thinking the world is just going to fall beneath me that happened at about I think Boris gave the news at about 445 yeah. but earlier before that afternoon we lost 15 and a half thousand pound in advertising revenue because the classic national press had leaked various bits and pieces and that was we go we were due to go to print the following week so every time the phone rang that afternoon, it was a cancelled order. Now, to put it into perspective, 15 and a half grand, I don't know, our average order value is probably about eight, 900 quid. So there's quite a few phone calls for a small business like us to take. And um, Fraser only been with me six months. And I, 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 I remember it like it was yesterday. And um, I didn't know what was going to happen, Richard. I was in, fast forward then, I don't know, a couple of weeks when people had actually realised. First of all, I was scared because of the health and well-being of everybody. You know, I've got a couple of my colleagues that live with elderly people. I was scared for my mum and dad because they're sort of in their 60s. My mum's diabetic. Um, my girls, who are, they're 13 and 10 now, so they would have been 11 and 8, they're asking me questions that I didn't know the answers to. So you've got all this going on and yet you still got to try and run a business. And um, as it all started to sort of come through, I remember saying to my team, we used to have a Zoom call every morning, every afternoon, and I said, listen, I don't know how we're going to get through this, but I'll, we're going to get through it. And what we did is we just made decisions, and they were big decisions, but we made them quickly. So there were customers that, companies that maybe put their staff on furlough, but they still needed to have some marketing support. So there was an opportunity for us to maybe increase that there a little bit to help them and then still try and charge them a little bit more. We decided that we weren't going to um, send all things business out. We went online with all things business as an online edition, but then we also gave people the option to receive it at home. So, and I don't know, I think we ended up sending about tw so like 11 or 1200 copies a month to people's at home because I actually now get mine at home. Yeah, because you because you weren't going into the office, whereas you'd always receive it at the office. We communicated with them digitally and said, listen, we're still publishing, 
we're going to put it um put it home and we did think about closing and you know julie barnes ward probably made a really really tough decision because she was coming up to a milestone for business times as, as a, a in terms of years in business you know she made the decision to shut the doors um and but for me i still felt like we had a duty probably sounds the wrong word but i felt like we had we've got a voice and we can ha hopefully make a difference and you know if i look back now i mean you mentioned the atb arms Every Thursday, four till five, we did a really crap music quiz that Fraser did. And I said to everybody, you've got to have something wet in your hand in a glass. And if it's alcoholic, great. But if it's not, it doesn't matter. And we used to sing Sweet Caroline at the end. And it was done on Zoom. And I think at our peak, we had 70 people. That was our biggest one. But we'd typically be between 30 and 40 people every week. Before I just cut in there, um, I don't think, uh, I, well, I don't want you to undersell that in the sense because... Um, I remember that happening and I did come along to a couple of the ATB arms as it, as it was called and I remember how worried so many small business owners were in those Zoom calls and sort of the go, some of the conversations, some of the people uh, voicing the concerns they had um, that that one small thing brought a lot of people together like who were used to going into an office environment used yeah. to being sat with colleagues used to being out at networking events or They've within the own. business community and now they're at home alone yeah. uh, with nobody to talk to and the the crap music quiz as you put it um the with the sweet carolina actually gave people just something to look forward to during a time when so many people were um feeling and going through the emotions that you've just described yourself was going through but you still did that i i think it was a bit more of like i felt that we had this presence that we could make a difference locally and that difference was just telling people it's going to be all right yeah. but I, was, I almost felt like a bit of a swan it'll be all right but under the water i didn't know how it was going to be all right because i wasn't in, it was the first time in my life i didn't feel in control Generally speaking, we, as business owners, generally feel in control of your life in terms of where you're going, generally speaking, apart from when you hit that bump in the road, yeah? That was the time where I, you, you felt like you were like that because you you didn't know what was going to happen tomorrow. You know, and, and I mean, listen, this, is, this could set me off on one now. Um, but as a country, we were getting around the, the televisions at five o'clock to see how many people had died that day or died the previous day and watch these statistics. It was... a it was an incredibly scary place to be and that was just as a, that was just as a normal human being not a business owner that's employing two people 20 people or 200 people and I, and I described it as um I described it as a we're all in we're all at sea some of us are in dinghies and some of us are on the QE2 some of us have got leaks and some of us have got people that are paddling the wrong direction whatever boat you're in just stay afloat and and we were in a we were in a dinghy um and I think for me, it brought the best out of this wonderful community that we've got. And some of those people, you know, I, I've never met, but I've, I've, you know, I've seen what they're like at their home and I know what they drink. Yeah. But um, I've never met them face to face, but I, I, I met them every other week or every week whenever they joined the ATB Arms. And, and that, was, that was good. And we introduced other video content. Our video content went up. 
so many levels in terms of not necessarily from a quality production perspective just in terms of frequency so we you know i got my black book out and you know started interviewing people some of it would be talking around stuff that was going on in the pandemic some of it wasn't east northamptonshire council um this is when there was the small business grant i think it was 10 grand for there was a criteria of five grand and 10 grand i think and jonathan nunn Northampton councillor was fantastic he was great he gave me an update um so we we did it before it went out and that got like thousands of views and we then pushed that content out to help business owners to say listen you're entitled to five grand you're entitled to ten grand this is how you do it yeah East Northamptonshire council unfortunately um didn't communicate as best they could have done with their business customers and that was brought to my attention and um, we reached out to them to do a similar interview to councillor none they refused so in the end i rang the chief exec's pa and um and said look we're, we're publishing this story tomorrow that basically says that you're not helping the business community because so somebody contacted us and said that they had a, a very poor uptake in uh, grant applications and um quickly i um i was i got a response from the the uh, the communications director there or the communications officer and um the grants were then publicised on their social media, on their homepage. We then helped to promote that to our readers, uh, recipients of all things business in the East Northampton area. And I know of, I probably got about 25, 30 emails of thanks from people that had, as a result of that had then applied for it. And it's little things like that. There's no commercial gain for us there. But if I've got the opportunity to help a business when they're in a terrible situation like we all were, why, why wouldn't I do that? Why wouldn't I do that? So, and then we did some quirky stuff, you know. Razor Ruddock interviewed Robbie Williams from LA in his house, but on our platform. I interviewed Sir Captain Tom, God bless him. Um, and we introduced this at an evening with. So when we're out of the pandemic, you can which restaurant you're gonna go to, it's gotta be one locally really, and which three people you're gonna take, past or present. And it was trying to find like a bit of a spin just so people could, you know, some people loved it and they and we got messages and stuff and some people probably hated it and thought, oh, here they go again and they would have switched off after 30 seconds. But it was just about doing things differently to keep us prominent. But you was doing all the, your, you was getting little to no advertising, basically you had all those cancelled orders for your revenue that was to sustain your business. You was doing all these supportive actions and things to support businesses in the area, um, be them customers or not, either way you're supporting those, despite what you was fighting with, with yourself back in your business. I'd argue that, not argue, it's actually a, um, a real positive that when we move to the end of the pandemic, all things business has come out stronger off the back of it. Yeah, I, I think from a brand perspective, definitely. Yeah. You know, I, I can, all, all things business has definitely come out of it as a stronger brand um i think yeah i mean look for the financials were, were terrible during that pandemic on the publishing side but we had other business interests in terms of services that could offset that the biggest disappointment was our landlord because i'd gone from 600 quid a month to three grand a month in the space of one working day was then told that we had this holiday um uh fr no freeze of freeze of rent for three months so I'm thinking, oh, I think it was July, August, September, or it might have been June, July, August. 
No, no, it was it was the March. The, so it was April, May, June that would have we would have had this holiday of rent. And then I got an email in the August to say, "Oh no, the, the person that told you that was wrong. Is nine grand is an invoice for nine grand plus VAT." So I, I wasn't happy then at all, and because of maybe previous um, experiences where bigger organisations I felt have attacked me or taken advantage of me. Um, I tried my best to give them the wrath of my tongue and um, and I kicked up a, a stink and I still kick up a stink now because that was wrong on so many levels, particularly as the opening um, sentences to help young and small businesses of Northampton prosper and grow. Um, but hey, it is what it is. I'm sure that the person or people that made that decision aren't in Northampton and they're further afield. But, but overall, the... I mean, we employed somebody during the pandemic and I never even met them. I mean, if you'd said that to me, I would never have, who does that? It's, but then again, who bought, who buys a car during the, without driving it? And yet, People exactly. <coughs> so, but I, I was also fascinated at how other businesses coped because I did, I started to watch stuff and read stuff online about previous recessions and, and basically those that, invest more or maintain their marketing spends generally come out of recessions stronger those that say marketing is the first thing that's got to go are the ones that sometimes suffer more and i tried to keep hold on of a lot of that and then i'd also admired how other businesses were doing it and you know we had a couple of customers that actually increased their advertising spend with us in all things business during that time as we move now towards sort of the current day and we're out the other end of the pandemic, COVID's still around. I'm sat here having had it for the first time a couple of weeks ago. The um, all negative, we're all fine. Don't worry, I'm fine with that. The, um, so, the you're expanding. Um, your merge, you're going through a merger at the moment. Yeah. So we're with. Um, so here we are in our new offices. You, this is your first time here, isn't it? It is. Yeah. So um, we moved into this office space in between Christmas and New Year. And um, I reached out to uh, Rocket, a company that are very well respected in Northamptonshire and further afield, um, and sort of February time, had a few conversations, all went well. So it's all going through at the moment, although we are operating from here at the moment, um, and have been for the last, um, where are we now? Two months. So that's all going through. So uh, the, the, the paperwork with the professionals and that will all get signed in the, in the coming weeks. So, um, but yeah, exciting times ahead. I'm learning about change and, you know, people and going from managing a relatively, small, I mean, listen, we're still a small business, but relatively small team to a, a bigger team brings its own challenges and, I'm learning. I didn't go to university or of you know how to be a managing director. I haven't got any honours or degrees, etc. So I'm very much self-learning. I love it. I get most decisions right, but there are a couple that I get wrong, and I've just got to learn from them. But exciting times ahead for sure. So, being as somebody who's not studied business, you you just said you're learning it on the fly. Um, You've started a business twice uh, now. The what 
makes you do it? What makes you choose to take on all that responsibility of trying to run a business and do things that you've never studied, you've never learned, you've, you, you presumably know or don't know what you don't know, um, but still decide to do it anyway? Great question. I think the one thing that I love about my life, professional life this is, because my personal life has suffered as a result of the business. Um, and, and, and what I mean by that is there's been times where the family have suffered, if you like, and they've had to make sacrifices. Um, but I've got a very supportive wife and, and my kids are great. They they understand if dad can't come to that thing at school, or if, which is bad, and I need to, I have made those changes in more recent, more recently. But if daddy's got to be in London for two days, or he's got to be down at the Excel and stay away for three days, they understand the reasons why. No one like no one week in my life is the same. And and I say this, I say this to the team as well. Every Friday when I drive home at work, when I look back at what we've achieved as a company in that week and the differences that we've made for our customers and the, and, and for our own business, that's what makes me proud because strategically we plan and, and I can show you now the work that we're going to be doing next week. So I can say, right, that's the video team, that's the accounts team, that's the account management team, that's the studio, that's the videography team. This is the work that we're doing next week. These are the stories that we're going to be writing for all things business. This is the supporting stuff we're doing. But on Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock, that could all go out the window. And it's the reactiveness to it because of what happens with customer demands, etc. So to answer your question, it's it's the buzz, the, the fire in the belly keeps me going in terms of no one week is the same. Do you think there's a particular trait for entrepreneurs that sort of relish the chaos almost? Uh, I don't know. I mean, when I look at entrepreneurs, I, you know, I look at people like yourself, Dan Hardin. Um, I think I think Northampton. She's blessed with lots of entrepreneurs, and I, I'm not. I don't. I don't. I'm not an entrepreneur. I, I I don't know if I aspire to be one, but I look at. I might have entrepreneurial traits in terms of diversification, etc. But when I look at uh, what I call proper entrepreneurs, I look at them and not in awe, but I really look up to them. You know, established business leaders that have done really, really well over longevity. And I don't know if that is a little bit of, there probably is that element of, um, I think they're all probably swans, you know, in terms of having a little bit of chaos in, internally. But I, I admire I admire all of them, really. So I, I don't know if that answers your question or not. We'll roll back to that in a minute then. All right, okay. <clears throat> so, because we've spoken about part, you know, your journey um, through your business life. Uh, we focused, we reached a point where you're currently, all things business is going through a merger, the business is about to expand. Um, we've covered that during a time when you had a, a couple of quite significant kicks in your business life. And despite that, um, for no financial gain during that time, you did quite a lot to support businesses in the area. And, and then alongside that, you've also, um, in, you know, with a couple of other people as well, set up, for example, the Northamptonshire Schools and Business Alliance. Yeah. And 
the, well, tell us, you know, tell us what that does. So Northamptonshire Business Excellence Awards is the award, the event that we founded. And the year after we launched that, we, um, somebody came up to me and said, you need to do the same for the education sector. The education sector locally doesn't have anything like this and it needs to. So education's always been um, close to my heart because obviously my mum, I, I, I look back on the amazing work that my mum did, going above and beyond for children, you know, giving, you know, maybe my old football boots, for example, if I once I went from a size nine to a 10, she'd make me polish them and then she'd give them to a, a child at school and stuff like that, yeah. Um, if there was one other good thing that's come out of the pandemic, it's the appreciation that people have got as a, as a society for school teachers and other people that work within schools. Um, we saw quickly that there was a, a, a big, a, not a big gap, but there was a gap between the local business community and the local education sector. And while SEMLEP, who do an amazing work um, across the region, the people that, you know, Vicky Morton, for example, does a great job, but Northampton is a big old place. You probably need four Vicky Mortons to do that. So really what I, I said, listen, why don't we come up with an alliance that brings together those that want to get involved with education and education and business. And SEMLEP are on, are on board and Vicky comes along to those meetings. They happen every quarter. Um, we we beg beg steal or borrow a, a venue and we ask the, the host to put on you know refreshments and we just um, facilitate that and that's because business needs education and education needs business you know the managing directors of tomorrow are in a primary school or a secondary school within 30 miles of this office yeah um, why should we lose good tech coders marketing engineers sales professionals to Manchester or to London or to Birmingham or to Peterborough or to Cambridge when we've got a thriving business community here and the thing that I was shocked about was not enough schools or not many schools do as much work experience as what they used to too many too many schools are using suppliers that don't have an NN postcode and businesses don't engage as much with schools in terms of going into for the world of work days and inspiring year 11 students or year 10 students or year five and six and again I, f I felt that we could make a difference um and you have to be careful because at the end of the day we're a business not a charity but that's our csr that's the bit that makes me feel proud you know if i'm having sunday dinner with my mum and dad and i tell them about the nsba i can't summarize that in 10 minutes for them because that they need a bit longer to process it <laughs> and my dad will give me he'll question me and stuff but um that makes me f feel good with them as well and already we've seen so many success stories where businesses are now working with schools, um, where you've got directors that are now um, active governors of schools, because that was one of the key things that we found with schools locally is they want active governors. They just don't want governors that, to say, yeah, you know, it looks good on my LinkedIn profile to say I'm a governor, or it looks good to say, uh, you know, on my resume. They, they want to make a difference in those schools, and we've already, that, that's happened. There's been some sponsorship opportunities where companies have sponsored playground equipment and stuff, um, and some work placement as well. I think we've got I think we've got somebody coming in here in a couple of weeks' time, actually for two weeks. That's happened as a result of the NSBA. So it's just about making a difference and bringing the schools and the businesses together and say, look, talk. But education is always something that's at the forefront of my mind because you was also very instrumental in creating the Tech Together uh, 
yeah. campaign during the pandemic. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So again, the pandemic. You hear you hear about these neg- negative news sales, if you like, on a on a national basis, and I'd never heard of digital poverty. You take for granted that the internet's readily available and that everybody has the internet. And then you think about kids that are learning from home because of the pandemic. And then when you hear that little Johnny, little Lisa and little David have got one laptop between them and therefore they can't learn at the same time, you then go, wow, that that ain't right. That isn't right. Um, so I'd, I came into work one day and I said, look, guys, I've just heard this on the radio. We, we can make a difference here. And Fraser said, look, we're gone. What are we going to do? And I said, right, I want a campaign to reach out to the business community to say, empty your drawers or your, you know, your, 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 your IT cupboard. How many old laptops or iPads or whatever have you got there? And let's see if we can get these refurbished somehow and, um, and, and redistribute them to schools in Northamptonshire. And then they can then give them to the homes. And, um, reach out to Thorpe, John Thorpe, who's a you know good mutual friend of ours, and he just got behind it. And uh, Richard Kipling, who's one of his uh, tech engineers, he gave up his weekends and evenings. I think there was even one weekend where he took his kids in to help him to basically make sure that they were ready. Because we got, I mean, Louise, who works for me, she's um, she's she was great. She was going here, there, and everywhere to collect them. I think we had just over 600 devices given to us but only about 400 past the, the MOT, if you like. The rest of them were unfortunately, um, you know, didn't, didn't survive. But that's 400 families or 400 kids that have now got them. Um, so that was us and ACS together doing our bit to make a difference. The sad thing in that is, A, you know, being in that situation, but that is sustainable. And in my opinion, local government should be able to continue now they can either pay us to do that as a business and and I, and I can you know say right louise can run that contract and she can spend two days a week on it to make sure that that maintains or they can just go and do it themselves but that that model works we've proven that it works and the other sad thing is from the from the a bit of research that we did through the nsba we reckon that there is about two thousand pupils that don't have the ability to learn at home now hopefully kids don't have to learn from home again but imagine what they could do with additional homework etc if they did have that setup available to them you know and we can give those that those devices to the schools and the schools can loan them to the pupil until they leave school and then they can be replenished potentially yeah but 400 out of 2000 part of me thinks we're pissing in the wind but we could but it's, we, we, there's 400 kids more than it wasn't but I, that should be 2,000. We shouldn't have digital poverty in Northamptonshire when you've got the great business community that we've got. I've got no doubt in my mind we could solve that within a year. But why should it fall on all things business and Ben Thomas and Louise Garrard and Richard Kipling and John Thorpe and ACS to do that when we've proven it's worked? Give that to local government and say, look, we've, we've proven it's worked. Now make it. Now go and fit, solve that problem. And that's an interesting question um so before i roll back to what i asked earlier there's a another um 
organisation or another sort of personal um, cause that you support, um, uh, Kelly, uh, we, if I write this down, We Mind the Kelly Matters. Matters, yeah. Yeah, so uh, during the pandemic, actually this was, I think this was just before, this was like in the February time, there's, um, there's a lad I went to school with called Eugene Parbury who committed suicide and Eugene, I remember him from school, we were fr friends on Facebook, but I'd, I hadn't, um, I didn't like keep in touch with him, but he was just someone, if I saw him in the street, I'd say hello. He's, he's one of those guys that I knew. And um, incredibly sad. And when I learned about that, and then the pandemic was only a matter of weeks away, I thought to myself, this is, I've had my challenges with mental health in the past. And I thought this is, this could get a lot worse. So we, the team, again, I went into the office one day, I came, I come in sometimes with these ideas and I imagine the team probably go, here he goes again. And I said, look, we need to make, we, we've got an opportunity to make a difference here. So I reached out to uh, um, my uh, account manager at um, Clearview, the, you know, the advertising board. And there's, there's an advertising board in Wellingborough near the, um, the embankment. And it was just, it would add nothing on it. So I reached out to her and I said, listen, this is what I want to do. Can you help me? I want to put together a campaign that says Wellingborough Cares. And it was all about, uh, we, we did this campaign and it was just to say, people of Wellingborough, if you're struggling, ring one of these support agencies. And um, Alex Goldsmith, who's the CEO of Medigold Health, I reached out, he, he got wind of what I was doing and and he just said ben i love what you're doing i want to share the cost with you and um i'd already got like clearview had done us an extremely good rate so it was, we were only talking hundreds of pounds but it was the, it was for to alex it wouldn't matter if it was hundreds or thousands he wanted to make a difference with me because he's a wellingborough lad as well and um i then got introduced to john hewitt who John Hewitt founded the Glazerite Group, and he um, that was based in Wellingborough. And ironically, his parents used to live next door to my mum and dad. They were the caretakers at Wren School, so I know Dave and Jerry, and had this massive Alsatian that always used to scare the crap out of me because um, it just jump up at the fence and bark. You'd never see it coming. And um, but John and I never knew each other. We've got lots of friends in common, but never knew each other. And um, his daughter Kelly Hewitt. Um, tragically took her own life uh, a couple, uh, four, three, four years ago now, four years ago. And he and his, uh, um, he and Rachel, Rachel is Kelly's mum, created the charity. And um, I had a conversation with him and over the phone and I just, I'm just in complete admiration of the guy, what he and Rachel and, and Amy, Kelly's sister and, and the rest of the family and close friends have gone through. I didn't have the pleasure of knowing Kelly, but I know a story and it's tragic, uh, but they want to make a difference to make sure that that doesn't happen again. So um, we sort of then got rid of Wellingborough Cares, if you like, because it was it already existed in We Mine and Kelly Matters, but they were at their infancy of setting up the charity. And um, we, we, we collaborated and just helped to spread the message to say, look, this, we're here. And um, I was very proud 18 months ago when John asked me to be a trustee. Um, Kelly Hewitt's idol growing up is Kelly Smith. 
I managed Kelly Smith, England's greatest ever goal scorer. So um, when I told Kelly Smith the story, um, and she herself has had her own challenges with mental health, um, she just said, what can I do to help? So John and Rachel wrote her a letter and asked her to be patron, which she is. So um, that charity now, um, through, a, a, and it's, it's, we've got a very um, great bunch of passionate trustees have, have raised enough money to fund, um, I think we've got about half a dozen, maybe eight um, councillors. And we've got a CEO in Sherry Adams, who's amazing. She's great, she leads that team. I don't know how she does what she does, but she does it. And we've got a tech service as well, because some people don't wanna pick up the phone and say, I need help. They don't wanna send an email, but they're quite happy to maybe text. And um, that charity is saving people's lives without a shadow of a doubt. And that makes me feel very proud because I, I, I play a very, very, very small part in that. But it gives me something to be able to talk to people about and, and signpost and point them in the direction. And it's a charity that's making a difference. So when we go back to my earlier question then, the, you've mentioned a couple of times there where you walk into the office and you know your team here be like, he's off for one again. <laughs> the, um, <clears throat> but the, the point is- Do you? <laughs> <laughs> you, you will say like we, there's the, we can make a difference here. We can make a di tech together. We can make a difference here. Yeah. We might uh, sort of you know Wellingbrook here. We can make a difference here, and your journey into there. Um, the you've said these things, so I'll ask you when you think of what is an entrepreneur. What is an entrepreneur? An, an entrepreneur to me is somebody that's and this might even be the wrong definition, but in my mind. It's somebody that's got multiple businesses and is very successful, both financially and um, um, maybe may including that uh, successful mergers and acquisitions, successful um, selling of businesses, sales of businesses, yeah? And I, this is gonna sound cheesy, but I don't think entrepreneurs call themselves entrepreneurs either. I, I don't, I'm not a big, you'll never find entrepreneur on the, on the on one of my uh, LinkedIn pro on my LinkedIn profile, and I and, I, and I, I think you look at Dragons Den. They're serial. Peter Jones is a serial entrepreneur. Lord Sugar, serial entrepreneur, because they understand business. They understand the scale of it, and I just don't. I'd, I'm not. I'm not in that league. I, and I, I, listen, I don't know if I want to be because I've got enough. I've look at my head. I've got enough on my plate at the moment, as you can see overactive knife and fork. Um, I've got enough on my plate at the moment. I don't know if I, I think a true entrepreneur would scale a business, take a business like mine, yeah? Yeah. Make it franchisable and make all things business in every, I don't know, in another 20 counties. That's a, that's a proper entrepreneur in my opinion. Is that a proper entrepreneur or is that just somebody who's good at business? Well, this is, that's an interesting question. I, me, I'd say uh, that's a real entrepreneur. I don't, don't get me wrong, I've probably got entrepreneurial traits and I might see things differently, but I don't know, I, 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 don't, I don't put myself in that league of, of entrepreneurs. And I, and I don't, I, if, if, you were, if you were to refer to me as one, I would feel really, that would make me feel awkward. That would be really awkward. So don't. <laughs> okay. So the, you're going through your merger, 
at the moment. There'll be more coming on that as, as the time comes out, probably by the time this podcast comes out. We've just sort of gone through why you do this. Is there a milestone or a point in time where you would sit back and just say, I've done it? Well, I, I have milestones, yeah. like um, for the business, but they're not like three and five year business plans. They're, 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 they're annual, I have, an annual, I have an annual plan. I have one eye maybe on next year as well, but I'm always working 12 months ahead and then I'll break it down into quarters. And I, I've done that since the pandemic because I did do a five year business plan after I um, bought Chris and Dan out and that got ripped up three months later because of the pandemic or six months later. Um, so I do have milestones. I've, prob I've probably only, some of those have changed significantly and that's probably because more dictated by family. You know, I've got a 13 year old daughter and I started this journey, my, my first wobble in business, my first bump in the road came when Taylor was born. And the fact that she could be in business or could be leaving, well, we'll probably be leaving the family home in four or five years time is bloody scary. Um, and I don't, I, and I think there's maybe parts of her childhood that I've missed out on, which makes me feel sad sometimes. Bo is 10 and I think I've, I haven't missed out on as much maybe with her and Rocco's my little centre half is three and I'm determined not to miss out on as much of his. So some of, some of my milestones are certainly more family orientated. And that might sound strange because I think, I don't know if I'm on my own here, Richard, but all of my milestones really have been business focused. It's only been in recent years that they've been family focused. And I feel really, I've felt, I've beat myself up about that. I felt really guilty about that. Well, when did that shift? Or was there a particular trigger that caused that to shift? I, I, think, I've, I think probably the pandemic has, probably this last 18 months. Because on one hand, the pandemic has shown the great inhumanity within our local community, yeah? But it's also shown, in my opinion, that this country is not in the best hands. And I, I'm not gonna go down the political route here, because I, but I don't trust any politician. I've, I've, you know, members of parliament are called MPs and I've got a different terminology for MPs. But I've, I've found that quite scary. When you can shut a country down and have tens of millions of people gathering around a TV set for weeks on end to see how many people have died the, the, the day before, that's scary. That's really scary. And and, and I feel that the, the I, f I felt that the, the mainstream media have through their negative reporting have had a massive impact on people's mental health and those that maybe suffered a little bit with anxiety now suffer a lot with it caused by that. So I think to answer your question, I think it's the pandemic has definitely been a turning point for me in terms of being more family focused uh, now and being grateful for what, what I have got, or what we have got rather than what we haven't. Whereas I think before that it was always reaching for the stars and, you know, let's do another 25%, let's do another 20%, whereas it isn't, it, my, my, my mind, mindset's shifted quite a lot there. So life uh, is finite, uh, at some point it comes to an end, so how would you like to be remembered? What, on my gravestone? Yeah, on your gravestone. Oh, bloody hell, Richard. Um, I thought we'd end on a high. <laughs> 
Um, we'll have a we'll have a glass of tequila on the way out. Ben Merville Thomas, the man that tried to make a difference. You'll never walk alone. Never walk alone. I like that. But I think the key point and something which I've picked out from this conversation is for whatever reason that seems to drive you, listen to you talk today, the and whatever you've got hitting you within your own business, there always seems to be a point where you're looking at see where you can make a difference. Yeah, I, I, I think that's down to my mum and dad, the way I've been brought up. Yeah. Be kind. You know, manners cost nothing. Um, and I, I do believe in karma. And I, and I think if, you know, if you treat, again, my dad, treat people how you want to be treated, Ben. I gave you your name. It's a good name. If you mess it up, it's down to you. And you know, he told me that from a very young age. And I used to think, oh, whatever, dad, you know. But he's right. And, um, and it, it, you know, treat people how you want to be treated. If everybody did that, this life, this world that we live in would be a lot better. But unfortunately, it isn't. And um, I think, like, for me, it's just... if, if I, I, I want my team to come into work every day and want to be here. I want to make a difference for them. You know, I, I encourage them all to have vision boards. Some of them some of them do. So I don't know. Some of them probably think, oh, he's off on one again. But the one... I know for a fact the ones that have got vision boards are the ones that have gone and on that holiday or have achieved that thing that they wanted to do or have, are now on the property ladder. And they've, they've achieved those things because it was the last thing they look at at night and it's the first thing they look at in the morning. And if I can make their life better whilst they work with me, because I've got an obligation to them. Well, if they're on this journey with me and they leave after three years, five years, 10 years, I have to make them a better individual from the moment they leave to the moment they started with me. And I think generally speaking, everybody that works with me, I can look them in the eye and say, yeah, I've, I've definitely done that with you. And it's just be kind. I think that's a great one to finish on. Thank you very much for sharing your story there. And um, I look forward to seeing how the journey continues. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Remember to like, share and subscribe to help spread the stories of small businesses across the UK. Have you got a story to share? Reach out to us on ukbf.co.uk. And you never know, you could be the next UKBF story.